Well, hey there, and welcome to our Sermon Audio Podcast from Mountain View Christian Center, a place to connect. Is this centered? I don't want to throw you off. I threw some people off yesterday. We had a, had a wedding, so when you see Nathan and Katie now, Buer, make sure you congratulate them. They're off on their honeymoon right now. Uh, had a fun time, though I had... I had a few jokers walking up and wondering who I was. You know, a guy wears a suit one time. But I'm back. So don't, don't expect to see that thing come out until the next wedding or funeral. So. <laughs> Thank you, Ron. I appreciate that. <laughs> if you have your Bibles, go. Boy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be tripping. I'm going to be tripping. Tripping all over stuff. I was thinking while we were getting the mics changed around because of a, another mic failure, I can't wait to see what happens next, but it might mean me falling over. Yeah, I see a few of you, you know what's, oh, I got my Bible upside down. Let's get our Bibles, hold them up here. Repeat after me, this is the Word of God. It's able to make me wise. It's useful for teaching. Correcting. Rebuking and training in righteousness. And this message is for me. Amen. You can start heading towards John chapter 9. We're going to be in there, but I'll tell you what, I am going to, I'm going to talk today about nothing. I am going to preach on nothing today. So you leave here, you, you head home, you go out to a restaurant, you go out with friends, what are you talking to some family members, talking to some friends over the week, and they say, hey, how was church? You can say, boy, it was great. They say, hey, what'd your pastor preach on? You can say, nothing. <laughs> Preached on nothing. You ever hear somebody talk about nothing? We're going to talk about nothing today. Some of you are like, yes, it's going to be short. I didn't say it's going to be short. I just said we're going to talk about nothing. Nothing is something that we're all born with. Amen? 1 Timothy 6, verse 7 says this, we brought nothing into the world. We're all born with nothing. Somehow we seem to lose it along the way. Nothing is something that most people don't seem to want. Most people don't seem to want nothing. Even though oftentimes they'll claim they want nothing, if you ask them what they want for Christmas or birthday or Mother's Day, Father's Day, whatever, they'll say, oh, nothing. But the fact of the matter is most people don't want nothing. Most people want something. You following me? Nothing is something that many people claim to have an abundance of. I saw a sign not too long ago, or a t-shirt not too long ago. I thought it was pretty great. It said, I was born with, with nothing, and I still have most of it. <laughs> so, some people have an overabundance of nothing. And nothing, hold on to your hats, nothing is something that we, as believers, ought to strive for. Let me say that again. Nothing is something that we as believers ought to strive for. 
Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7 says this, Paul writing to the church, he says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. We ought to aspire as believers to nothing. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Not thanks for nothing, Lord, because you've given us everything. So thank you for everything that you have given us, everything that you have done for us and all that you have in store for us. But Lord, this morning, I'm going to talk about nothing. I pray that you would guide my lips. Lord, I pray that you would open our ears that we might hear not what I'm saying, but Lord, what you are saying this morning. Lord, I pray that we would be challenged and transformed and that you would be glorified. We'll be quick to give you all the praise in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. So hopefully you found your way to John chapter 9. I'm going to read the first 34 verses, so I'll try not to be in a monotone so as to not put you to sleep. I know we've got some comfortable pews, comfortable enough to sleep in. I thought that might be a good ad, a good way to maybe generate some more, you know, get some more people to visit. You know, our, our pews are comfortable enough to sleep in, but for some reason that got shot down. So. John chapter 9 is an interesting, in fact, it's one of my favorite, and I say this about a lot of places in the Bible, but this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Jesus, as you're going to see, he heals a guy that's born blind. Starting in verse 1, as he, Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Isn't that kind of a goofy question? You you see somebody that's got a disability, you see somebody that's blind, whatever the situation. And and their first question, these are the disciples, these are the guys who have been walking with Jesus for a few years now. And the first thing out of their mouth, the first thing in their mind is that obviously this person is blind because some sin has occurred. Either he sinned or his parents sinned, but they know that he was born that way. How in the world can you sin before you're born? You can't. That's just, can I just be straight up honest? That's dumb. I mean, I love the disciples. They seem like really great guys, but sometimes they, may, they said things that was just kind of dumb. Who sinned, him or his parents, that he was born blind? Well, Jesus' response was neither. Now, Jesus wasn't saying that the man never sinned, but he certainly didn't sin before his birth. And Jesus wasn't saying that his parents never sinned, because the Bible says that we've all sinned. Since Adam and Eve ate that fruit in the garden, which, by the way, if you're not sure, it was not an apple. Feel free to eat as many apples as you want. Since they sinned in the garden, every single one of us has sinned. And sad to say, but probably most of us sin somehow, some way, every day. So it's kind of the fact of life. And, and, and furthermore, we know that, that death 
We know that sickness, we know that all these things entered into the world because of original sin. You know, when, when God had created Adam, he had given him command, you can, do, you can eat anything you want, do anything you want, just don't eat from that one tree. And when you do eat from that tree, uh, you're going to die. Well, Adam ate from it. He didn't die immediately physically, but spiritually he died. There was separation between him and God. And because of that one sin, death, destruction, sickness, all this stuff has, has entered into the world. So on the one hand, on, on the one hand, we can say, yes, technically, it's because of sin that we deal with issues in our life, whether it be blindness or baldness or tallness or shortness or roundness, whatever. Cancers and everything else. It's a result of sin. The sin nature. Not necessarily a result of your own personal sin. Although, you know what? Sometimes you got to deal with the results of your own personal sin. That's life. Amen? That's free. That wasn't in the notes. Oh, now we can get to verse 3. It might be a long day. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened. See, there's a purpose in what God did. This happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it's day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Verse 6, having said this, I love this. Having said this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Jesus had some really unique ways of bringing healing. Spit, made mud, stick in the guy's eyes. I could get into that kind of healing ministry. Lord, let me put some mud in somebody's eyes. He made mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging, asked, isn't this the same man that you sit and beg? And some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he just looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. Well, how then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go wash, in, uh, go to Siloam and wash. So I went, and I washed, and then... I could see simple obedience has profound effect. He told me to go. I went. I can see. That's all I need to, that's all I need to know. Simple obedience. That's also free, not in the notes. Where is this man? They asked. I don't know, he said. Verse 13, they brought, uh, brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. <sighs> danger. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. Hmm. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally they turned again to the blind man, or formerly blind man. What do you have to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight 
How frustrating would that be? God touches you, heals you of of cancer or blindness or deafness or whatever, heals you of of something, and and you're excited. I mean, hey, I just did what the Lord told me to do, and and then nobody believes you. Ah, come on. You weren't really blind. Yes, I was blind. You weren't really deaf. You didn't really have cancer. Yeah. So they call his parents. Verse 19, is this your son, they asked. Is, he, is this the one that you say was born blind? How is it now that he can see? Well, we know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know that he was born blind, but how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. And that's why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. Parents, learn to stand by your kids. You know? Your kids are going to learn. They're, they're, they're going to, I think more is caught than is taught. But they're going to learn as they, as they watch you stand by them. And That doesn't mean you've got to agree with everything they do. But they're your kids. And sometimes we've got to stand by them and say, you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong, but I will stand here with you. I brought you into this world. Oh, that's something else. <laughs> we need to learn to stand with our kids. But these, see, these parents, they were afraid. They were so caught up. And, and, and the guy, he's, he's old enough to take care of himself. He's a full-grown man. But they were so afraid of being kicked out of the synagogue. They were so afraid of, of the Jewish religious leaders. So afraid of being banished that they stepped away from their son and said, ask him. Verse 24, second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man's a sinner. Here's where it gets good. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind. But now I see. That's the most powerful testimony in Scripture. most powerful testimony you can ever have is not what you've seen God do, not what you've heard what God's done, but what you know He's done in your own life. He doesn't have to heal you of blindness. He can heal you of spiritual blindness. He can heal you of, of having a cough, a cold. He can, he can open your eyes to see that you're going down the wrong way. And He says, this is the way. Walk in it. And nobody can take your testimony from you. You don't have to have 50 years of of having your nose in the Bible and have half of it memorized. All you need to know is what he's done for you. And nobody can take that. And so he said, look, you're calling him a sinner? I don't know. I don't know about all that. This is what I do know. I was blind. I met this guy named Jesus. And now I can see. It's as simple as that. I was on the highway to hell. I had to pedal to the metal. But I met a man named Jesus. Now I'm climbing the stairway to heaven. See, everything changes when Jesus walks in. Everything changes when we surrender to him. All you need to know is what he's done for you. 
Verse 26, and they asked him, what did he do? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I told you already, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to, be his, uh, do you want to become his disciples too? I love how he starts getting cocky. Look, I told you, you didn't listen. So what, you want to be his disciples? They don't like that. Then they hurled insults at him and said, you're this fellow's disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody's ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Probably the second or third best day of his life. Get thrown out from a den of hypocrisy. First best day of his life is coming up as soon as Jesus finds him again and reveals who he is and he puts his faith and his trust in him. Second best day of his life was the day that his eyes were open. Probably the third best day, top three. Third best day is the day he got kicked out of that house of hypocrisy and was able to get on with his life. So we're going to talk about nothing. First bit of nothing. But I want to share that this man had and that you need to have was this man had nothing to hide. He had nothing to hide. Verse 8 and following, a lot of people thought, hey, he looks like the beggar, but is he really the beggar? His neighbors and those, look at this, his neighbors and those who formerly had seen him begging said, isn't this the same man that used to sit and beg? And some claimed that he was, and others said, no, he only looks like him. It only looks like they walked past him his entire life. Gives an indication of how close we look at those in need around us, doesn't it? They've been walking by him every single day their whole life. Every single day his whole life he'd been begging and they, they had become blind to his situation. They'd become blind to his plight in life. They'd become blind to his needs. I tell you what, that happens a lot these days. I'm not talking just about the people that are holding cardboard signs on the freeway entrances and exits and so forth, but what about all the people that you see on a regular basis in life? All the coincidental contacts that you have. Have you become blind to those around us? Have you become blind not just to the physical needs, but the spiritual needs of people around you? Because I tell you, physical needs are temporary. Spiritual needs are eternal. Jesus said that what you see is what's not real, but what is unseen is what's real and what's lasting. He didn't mean that, you know, that Clem doesn't really exist. I, mean, I see Clem, and he's, he's real. He's a real guy. He's a real man. He's a real man's man. But what's important isn't just what I can see in him, but what's important is what I can't see. His soul. These people had grown so used to seeing him, they had gone, they had gone blind to his knees. Needs. Not knees. That's silly. <laughs> it's okay to laugh in church when the pastor goofs up. It happens occasionally. <laughs> I 
He had nothing to hide. He was that man, and he declared boldly, I am. While they are standing around complaining, trying to figure out whether this is the same guy that begged or not, he stood up boldly and said, I am that man. He had nothing to hide. And you know what? Beggars were not very highly regarded in that day, just like they're not really highly regarded today. And there are people in our society that are not very highly regarded. And it has nothing to do with whether they're employed or unemployed. A lot of it has to do with lifestyle choices. And they're not very highly regarded. And we have a tendency, I'll tell you what church we have, we as a church have a tendency to look down our noses oftentimes at some people in society. If you've never heard that, if you don't realize that, then I invite you to pull your head out of the sand. We may be saved, but we ain't perfect. And one of the areas that we have a tendency to struggle in is is kind of looking at certain groups of people with disdain, with disregard, with disrespect. See, these are the same people that Jesus died for, just like he died for you. These are the same people that Jesus rose for, just like he rose for you. Now, I'm not going to say we've got to agree with everybody. I'm not going to say we need to jump on all the political bandwagoning. But I am going to say that we need to look beyond the outside to what's really important. With that in mind, I'll give you a, I'll give you a heads up, maybe a warning, maybe something you can be praying about. I'm going to be... The, the LGBT, those initials mean anything to you? Coming pretty popular these days. I'm going to be talking about what the Bible has to say about LGBT, about that lifestyle, about that community. We're going to be talking about that in upcoming weeks. We're going to do a short mini-series. Now, I'm not, I'm not giving you a heads up so that you can find out when I'm going to preach on it and not be here. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, I'll tell you in advance so you can be praying. I'll tell you in advance, so you can be praying if you happen to have any friends that are within that community. Invite them to come here, and I'd better not see or hear anybody treating anybody with disdain. I don't care what their lifestyle choices are. Everybody deserves love and respect and will get it here. And if you will hug me... And you'll hug my wife. You'll hug Clem. <laughs> I didn't hug you this morning, Clem. But <laughs> then you hug people that come in. I'm not, I'm not saying if you're, if you're not a hugger, be a hugger. Some people are not huggers. My wife is the hugginest person on the face of the earth. I was never a hugger until I met and married her. She has transformed our family. It's weird. But people come walking in, dressed funny, looking funny, acting funny, talking funny. Love them. They're welcome. My, my prayer has been for the last two and a half years that I've been pastoring here, and you've heard me say it, I pray God send us the worst of the worst. Because if the worst of the worst in society can't find love and peace and acceptance here, where are they going to find it? The worst of the worst are that way just because maybe nobody's ever told them the truth. 
Now, I'll say this. Some people may not be comfortable because I'm not going to soften the gospel. I'm not going to change the word. So some people may not be comfortable with the messages that I preach when it comes to sex, when it comes to LGBT, whatever. But if you're here and you're cheating on your taxes, you're not going to be real comfortable when I'm preaching about finances and stewardship. If you're here and you're lying, you're not going to be real comfortable when I preach on the Ten Commandments. This isn't a place, this is, this is not a place for me to pat you on the back in sin and say, it's okay. This is a place for us to find out what sin is and the fact that there is a Savior that died to set us free from it, no matter what our sin is. Amen? Amen. So that's free too, no charge on that. But be praying. Be praying. So he declared, I am the man. He had nothing to hide. Why? Because he was blind, but now he can see. He might have just only now, once he opened his mouth, realized that his way of making money was gone. You know, beggars in that day, they they could actually get a, a cloak, I guess, from the Roman government that designated them an official beggar. But as soon as he was healed and he was able to work, he was expected to work. There's a novel concept. <laughs> Kermit's laughing. He got it. A novel concept. If you, won't, if you won't work, you won't eat. But it, now, now that he can see, he might have just, as soon as the words come out of his he might have just realized, oh, my way of making a living is gone. Things change when Jesus enters the picture. But he still had nothing to hide, and so he stood up in front of everybody and said, I am that man. He didn't even hide how he was healed. Jesus spit on me and told me to wash it off, and now I can see. I don't know much, but I know this. He spit on me, he made mud, told me to wash. And now I can see I got nothing to hide. Church, we need to live a life with nothing to hide. Second point, he had nothing to lose. You got nothing to lose. You're in pretty good shape. He had nothing to lose. His parents weren't, or rather his parents were afraid to answer. You know, they say, hey, ask him. He's old enough. They didn't want to lose their place in church. They didn't want to lose their place in society. They didn't want to have all eyes on them. They said, you know what? You talk to him. He's old enough. But he had nothing to lose. He didn't have any reputation to worry about. Nothing. John 13, verses 3 through 5. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal. This is the Last Supper. He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. When you realize, church, that you've got nothing to lose, that is so freeing. I got nothing to lose, so I got nothing to hold me back. I I got nothing to lose. I don't have any secrets. The power of sin is in silence. That's why the Lord told us to confess our sins one to another. 
Man, you get it out there. I'm not talking about having a brag fest. We don't want to. We don't want to do something like that. That'd be dumb. We don't want to be dumb. We're not going to start flashing it on the billboard and posting it on Facebook. Yeah, so and so did this. That'd be dumb. But when you got nothing to lose, you've got everything to gain. And on that last night, that last supper, when Jesus was sitting there and he began to wash the disciples' feet, it's neat that John puts down that, hey, Jesus knew he came from God and he was going back to God. He knew the end story. He knows what's going on. He had absolutely nothing to lose, so there's no big deal in him taking off his outer garment and washing the feet of his disciples, washing all that road grime, that crust and crud. He got nothing to lose. I know where I'm going. Do you know where you're going? Wow, I didn't expect it to be that quiet. Jodine, I'm glad you know where you're going. Do you know where you're going? A few more of you do. Okay, those of you that aren't sure, we'll work on that. When you know where you're going, you got nothing to lose. It is so freeing. To be able to just meet people right where they are, just to, to meet the need and to, and to love on the least of these. We've got to get to the point where we've got nothing to lose. Go to Mark chapter 10. We can see the opposite. Mark chapter 10, I want to look at verses 17 through 22. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. It's interesting. You can keep the letter of the law and be lost in your soul. Because it's not what we do with our hands that makes a difference. It's what Jesus did on the cross. And it's the condition of it. But I've done all this stuff. Verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go and sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then, come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. He was sitting there with a pile of money. He had servants. He had the best, the fastest camels. He had the best food. He had everything going on, but there was something missing in his heart. So he approaches Jesus. What do I have to do? I want eternal life. What do I have to do? And Jesus ran down the list. Here's these things. You know what they are. He said, I've done all that. Something's missing. Did you catch what it said about Jesus? Loved him. This guy is messed up. This guy's priorities are a thousand miles from where they ought to be. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. Right where he was, he loved him. He said, I'll tell you what, there's something you're lacking. Sell everything you have. then you'll have treasure in heaven. Now, Jesus was not saying, he was not setting down some doctrine that everybody's got to be poor and we got to sell everything we have and, and give everything we have to the poor. 
What he was saying is, you know what, I can see in your life, and you're holding on to some things that is going to drag you to hell if you don't let go of it. And one of the things that's keeping you back from having everything the Lord wants you to have is your money. Guess what? You can't take it with you when you go. And Jesus is speaking the truth in love. You're lacking this one thing. You're, you've made an idol out of your money. And some of us, we've made idols out of things other than money. Maybe it's, maybe it's power. Maybe it's authority. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's our house or our car or, or what have you. We've made idols out of things. And you're never going to have nothing as long as you're holding on to that thing. And that thing is keeping you separated from God. He says, look, get rid of that. And then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Well, the man's countenance fell. He got depressed and walked away sad because he had great wealth. He wasn't willing to give up anything so that he could have nothing, which is everything. You following all those things? He wasn't willing to give up anything for nothing to have everything. When we store up with God, we have nothing to lose because he guards it. In heaven where moth can't destroy and thieves can't break in and steal. Church, when, when, when we make God our priority and when we give to him our all, our life, our everything. We got nothing to lose because he's got it guarded. You understand what I'm saying? It's not just about money. When you give it all to the Lord, you got nothing to lose. He's got it guarded. Number three, he had nothing to hold him back. There's a new sense of freedom now that says you can go forward. One thing I know, he said in verse 25, one thing I know is I was blind, but now I can see. And then he let him have it, verses 26 through 34. He turns around and lets him have it. Look, I told you once, I told you twice. Maybe you want to be one of his disciples. How many times do I got to tell you? He started lecturing them. He had a freedom. There's nothing to hold him back. Church, we need to get to the place where we got nothing to hold us back from what God wants to do in us and through us. And some of those things that tend to hold us back are excuses and doubts and fears. Oh, I got a pile of excuses. I got a long list of doubts. But if I can give all that over to the Lord, then I got nothing that can hold me back. Then I can speak love. I can speak the truth in love with confidence. I can love on the unlovely. I can... As Paul says, surrender my body to the flames. I, whatever. I got nothing holding me back because it's all entrusted to the Lord. Having nothing opens you up so that God can fill you with every good thing. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul wrote on this. He was writing to the church in Corinth. 2 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 3. He writes these words, We put no stumbling block in anybody's path, so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, 
in hardships and distresses, in beatings and imprisonments, and riots and in hard work, in sleepless nights and hunger, in purity and understanding, patience and kindness in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known and yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich. The life of a sold-out believer is not a boring or routine or safe thing. Paul lived a pretty exciting life. We got any adrenaline junkies out there? Paul lived a pretty exciting life. And it wasn't, it, it wasn't, all the stuff that he listed, not all of it sounds really good. People thinking I'm an imposter, people thinking I'm insincere, going sleepless and hungry, I'm really not interested in that. I like the sleeping and eating is two of the things I do best. Getting beat and thrown in prison, not really something I want to do. But things that happened to him because he was sold out to the Lord and he had nothing to hold him back. And here's the very last part of what Paul wrote there in verse 10. Having nothing, yet possessing everything. Because anything I have comes from the Lord. Everything I've got is his. I might have nothing, but it's all his. So I possess everything. And finally, church, the goal, the goal of all this, nothing, is that we may have nothing to be ashamed of. Paul wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, he says, do your best, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Who is he encouraging Timothy to work for? The Lord. How hard was he encouraging him? Do your best to present yourself with nothing to be ashamed of as one who rightly handles the word of God. Just because Timothy was a pastor doesn't mean that those words don't apply to each and every one of us. You see, the goal of all this nothingness is that we would have nothing to be ashamed of on that day. On the day the Lord takes us home, the day we stand in front of him, I want to have nothing to be ashamed of. I say, Lord, I did everything you asked me to do. I messed up a few times, but you know about that. I, I confess that it's under the blood. I got nothing, Lord, to be ashamed of. So how about you this morning? You got nothing? Or you got too much something? Today's a really good day to lay down your something and your everything and your anything so that you can end up with nothing and thereby have it all. Would you stand with me?
just going to ask before we before we go to prayer, before we close in prayer, just real simple. You're here this morning and I don't care if people are looking around because if you can't stand among family and friends, you're never going to stand in the world. But you're, you're here this morning and you'd say, you know what? I've been holding on to something and I need to get rid of it. I'm not going to ask you what it is. It might be a habit. It might be an attitude. It might be a hurt. I've been holding on to something and that's holding me back from having nothing. And I want to exchange my something for the Lord's nothing today because I don't want anything to hold me back. If that's you, just slip your hand up. I'm just going to pray for you right where you're at. Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Are you, are you ready to receive freedom this morning? If you're not ready to receive freedom, you might as well put your hand down. I am going to ask you to one more thing. It's going to be, it's going to be tough. You already got your hands up. Everybody's already looking. Everybody's already seen. You really, <laughs> you're really serious about this. You just come down here to the front. That's not a... Believe me, this isn't so I can call you out and get everybody looking at you. You know, when Jesus healed that man that was born blind, he didn't take him into a back room and he didn't do it secretly. Jesus spit in the dirt and he made mud in front of the disciples and everybody else that was on the street. And he wiped that blood on the guy's, or that mud on the guy's eyes and then he told him, go and do something. And he went and did it and he came back seeing. There's something powerful about just Say, you know what? Here I am. This is who I am. This is how I am. And I need the Lord. I need him to touch me. I need him to heal me. I need him to take whatever it is and replace it. So we're going to pray. And those of you that came up, I'm, I'm going to spend some time after. I want to pray with you individually, pray over you individually. But just one more time before we pray and I release you. If you need to go, Lord bless you. You didn't raise your hand, but maybe you should have. There's room down here. Don't run out the same way you came in. Let the Lord change you today. Father, I thank you this morning for your great love. And Lord, I, I thank you for nothing. And that sounds funny, but in the context of the message, you know, and everybody here knows what I mean. Thank you for the nothingness that you allow us to have. Because, Lord, we don't want anything to hold us back. We don't want to have anything to be ashamed of. Or we don't want to have anything to hide. Or we just want to be free to run with you and for you and to fulfill all that you've called us to. Lord, I pray this morning your blessing upon those that may have to leave now. I pray, Lord, that you would go with them and give them a great day and a great week. And Lord, that, that each day of this week you would remind them of this message. And Lord, that they would be built up and encouraged. I pray, Jesus, for those that have come forward and said, I got, I got something I got to get rid of. Lord, I pray that even right now you'd begin to lift that burden. Even right now you'd begin to transform 
their heart, Lord, that you, be, that you replace that, that fear, that anxiety, or that discomfort, Lord, with your peace that passes understanding. Lord, I pray that these men and women would get up from here today fully convinced of your power and your grace. Lord, that they would be able to, that they would be able to testify even as that man that you healed. All I know is I was blind, I was hurt, I was frustrated, but I met a man named Jesus, and now I can see. Now I'm free. Now I have life. Lord, we commit them to your grace. We commit this day to you. We give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for checking out our podcast today. For more information, you can find us on the web at www.mountainviewchristiancenter.net.